Okay, we're back. It's um, now 2010, January 3rd, 2010. This is episode two <laughs> of, um, of the, uh, of the, of the uh, series, uh, which everybody's been waiting for. Uh, and uh, I think we're, um, we're not going to have the pleasure of having uh, Tazita join us because I think she's working. Oh. And she's probably working a lot of Sundays, so I, I don't know. But she, you know, I don't know if I told you, but she heard the um, the CD ROM, the the recording of the first session, and uh, she was thrilled. So uh, yeah, yeah. So we have one fan already, and hopefully we'll get more. Okay. Um, so um, according to our calendar, um, today's session uh, was to cover schools, and I think we left off last week, having talked about the. Uh, Italian effects on the family, the Italian uh, imprisonment of your parents. So um, I don't know. I don't know where um, you were thinking of starting, but um, um, please go on. Okay, um, let me go back a little bit and say uh, a few words about the Italian occupation and what I remember of it. Okay, is that mm-hmm. all right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, my memories of the Italian occupation really <laughs> very blurred, hardly any, because I was only like uh, when the Italians arrived, I was less than three years old. You know, they came in 1935 uh, or 36 is the occupation, so I was two, two something. And by the time they left in 1941, I was only seven years old, so I don't really remember much. But there are a few things I remember towards the end of the Italian occupation and certainly uh, when the Italians left and the English came in, the mm-hmm. English troops came in. Uh, so so just let, a little bit about that. That'd be great. Um, I remember <coughs> air raid sirens, for instance. Uh, oh. As the uh, Italians left and the English uh, mechanized uh, uh, troops arrived in Addis Ababa, there were air sirens I'm I'm not hundred percent sure who, who was uh, making those sirens. Uh, whether it was the departing Italians or the arriving English, I'm not sure. Uh, but we were told uh, to cover the roof of our house with eucalyptus tree so it would not be seen from the air. Wow. I guess they were they were afraid of some bombings, so uh, we put eucalyptus uh, leaves on top of our. Uh, roof and we were also asked to darken the glasses of the window panes you know the glass panes on in the house on the doors and windows did you ever see planes Uh, yes i saw some planes i can't remember whether they were english or italian either Uh, but i also remember some of the african troops that came with the english Hmm. uh the uh, they were just going around the village, the various neighborhoods, and we were saluting them. Uh, everybody called them Jambo. Apparently, they were from Kenya. Hmm. So Jambo became a popular word after the uh, after that. Uh, so whenever we saw those uh, uh, African troops, you know, military with military attire, we would, we would say Jambo and salute them the way the Italians saluted. We were uh, we were uh, required to salute the Italians, you know, the fascist way. Uh, so the Kenyans or the some Africans actually marked marched with the English. I never knew that. Yes, 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 indeed. Oh, yes, indeed. Uh, you see, the Eng- the English decided, the British decided to assist Ayres Lassie 
uh, to regain his throne when Italy joined the war in 1940. Yeah, with the on 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 the side of the uh, of the Germans. Uh, at that time, this was June 1940. Uh, the British decided to help Haile Selassie, who was already in England, uh, because they were, the British were afraid that uh, unless they can clear the Italians from behind their lines in Ethiopia, uh, you know, all their colonial troops would be in danger, the ones in Kenya and Tanzania and so forth. Hmm. So, uh, actually, the British uh, brought in uh, colonial troops all the way from South Africa. Smuts, General Smuts, was one of the uh, generals who came from on the southern front. Wow. So this is concurrent. I mean, so at that time, Italy and England were already at war in continental yes. Europe? Yes. After June 1940, yeah. yes, yes, they were at, uh, at war. Uh, it was the uh, Rome Berlin axis. Um, so the uh, English were helping Haile Selassie. Uh, well, there was self-interest, as I said, because yeah. they didn't want any enemy troops behind their lines because they were already fighting in, in, in Europe. Uh, so they started to clear Somalia, which was already an Italian colony, and uh, also they to clear off Italians from Somalia and from Ethiopia and Eritrea. Hmm. And the troop... and. Last uh, week, I talked about how the war started in the north, in Tigray. Yes. Uh, I should have mentioned that it was actually uh, a two-pronged war. There was also a war front in the south. It, uh, from the, because the Italians had Somalia. They thought it was called Italian Somaliland. Yeah. And so there, too, they attacked on the Ogden front. And, the, and some of Ethiopian generals were fighting uh, the Italians on the southern front. Uh, the Ras Dasta, for instance, and uh, uh, Ras the Jazmash Nasibu, and others. So this is at a time when the Ethiopia, you know, was under Italian control for the most part, right? Uh, it, it was almost uh, <coughs> simultaneous in the north and the south. Uh, it started in the north, but almost concurrently there were Italian attacks from the south as well. So the emperors sent some of his troops and some of his generals on the, to the southern front. And, but the bulk of the Ethiopian army was sent to the north. Wow. Uh, so at the end of the war two, the, when the Italians were being chased out, it was again, uh, you know, a two-pronged attack. From the south came uh, colonial troops, South Africans, Kenyans, and so forth, clearing Italians from Somaliland, from the Ogaden, and, and moving north to Addis Ababa. Uh, yeah. and, and the emperor himself by then was had been flown from his exile in in, in, in England to uh, Khartoum in Sudan and he was given some troops uh, as well as Ethiopian troops who managed to join him he came in from the west from the, from the Sudanese border and uh, fought his way into Ethiopia on, on the west from Goljam you know from the Lektana area and another English group from Eritrea down south, uh, moving south to Addis Ababa. So the Italians were attacked from all three directions. It was funny because we always sort of heard, you know, the Italians came from Eritrea to Ethiopia. And, you know, yes. there was, of course, a battle. But their exit, you know, at the hands of the British and the Ethiopians 
I don't, I mean, at least, you know, the way I, I learned it or heard about it was kind of downplayed, you know, it was kind of like a, an afterthought and, and, and here, it's like a, you know, a major war in, in the sort of the major front in the colonial, the colonial front of the World War II. Uh, yes, uh, I mean, you're right. Uh, not much has been written about them, but there are uh, nowadays a few books written about them. Um, the leader of the Italian force on the south was Graziani, who later became viceroy of the, for the whole of Addis Ababa. You remember we talked about the yeah. Italian massacre of Yekati 12, uh, 1929, Ethiopian calendar, yes. uh, or February 19th, 1937, uh, Gregorian calendar. He became later on viceroy of uh, the whole of Ethiopia. But at the beginning, he was the uh, general who headed the Italian attack from the south, from Somalia, uh, through the Ogaden, Harar, Awash into Addis Ababa. Uh, a very interesting uh, episode, uh, if I can just digress a little bit, is the Italians, uh, you remember I said, entered Addis Ababa in May 1936, mm -hmm. May the 5th, 1936. Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's by coincidence or by planning, I think it was a latter. The emperor, when he returned uh, from the you know, as I said, he, he he fought his way into Ethiopia from the Sudan. Mm -hmm. He entered Addis Ababa the very same day, May the fifth, five years later, 1941. Wow! Yeah, so it was the same day. Um, there are stories. Uh, I don't know how true they are, but several. Uh, well, a few authors say that uh, the troops, of the English, the colonial troops coming from the south, with General. Uh, Cunningham and others fighting uh, uh, their way through the Ogaden into uh, Harar and Addis Ababa. They could have arrived in Addis Ababa earlier on, earlier than May the 5th. Mm -hmm. But uh, they were told to await the emperor's entry uh, from the west. You know, it, it was a matter of a week or two weeks or maybe a month. Uh, so there was a bit of planning in that sense. But in any event, it's, it's very interesting to note that the occupation lasted exactly five years, wow. May 1936 to May 1941. So do you remember the emperor coming in? I mean, that, that must have been a big uh, deal. Yes, vaguely. I remember uh, uh, flags uh, being uh, hung all over the town, uh, people uh, urinating, you know. Uh, wearing their best uh, clothes, the women and the men. Um, beyond that, not much. Hmm. Uh, vaguely remember his first radio address to the, the nation, uh, but not much. Yeah, so you uh, were you were seven then, right? I mean, that's a yeah, I was seven a, exactly. That's a pretty big event. What do you remember? Anything that happened? Like at that point, you know, they'd been around for you know four or five years in your world, right? Um, were there Italians leaving, or you know, like what what changed? You know, these the Italians that were there and that have been around for a while. Um, well, uh, there was euphoria in the in the country in the city. Um, People who were afraid to, uh, I mean, during the Italian war, uh, occupation, uh, the Italians brought in uh, with them a very, very strong color, uh, apartheid kind of thing. Hmm. There were areas in Addis Ababa where 
the locals, local Ethiopians were not allowed to go into, in the piazza, for instance. Wow. They, they established uh, Mercato. They called it Mercato Indigeno, indigenous market. Uh, so the Ethiopians would go shopping only in the Mercato, not in the piazza. That was for the foreigners. Hmm. Um, so there were things like that. Uh, whenever you saw a foreigner, uh, a white uh, Italian, you had to salute him. Hmm. Uh, all those things stopped when they, uh, when they were chased out. That's amazing because they didn't, I mean, they sort of had the reputation of being less racist, overtly racist than the British, right? I mean, that's not what you remember, though. Mm, what? No. Uh, you see, the Italians went through several phases uh, during their occupation. Although they stayed only five years, there were three different viceroys. Hmm. Uh, the representative of Mussolini in Addis Ababa or of the emperor, uh, uh, Vittorio Emanuele, Victor Emanuel, the Italian uh, king. Uh, his representative were called viceroys. Uh, the first one was the Bono, uh, General de Bono. Uh, he was the one who was heading the Italian troops uh, when the war first started in 1935. Uh, he became a viceroy after the Italians won. For about a year, maybe a year and a half, 36, 37. Then he was uh, replaced with Graziani, Marshal Graziani. Mm -hmm. He was the ruthless, ruthless uh, 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 viceroy. It was mostly during his tenure as viceroy that these old color bonds and uh, the Italian uh, massacre of 1937 took place. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, a lot of uh, atrocities were committed during his during his uh, tenure as uh, as uh, viceroy. Then Graziani, uh, when things became completely uh, impossible and and the Italians felt, uh, I mean, the authorities in Rome felt that they were losing grip over Ethiopia, uh, they replaced Graziani. In any event, he was wounded. You remember the Ethiopian. Yeah, yeah, he was wounded and so forth. So he was replaced by a, a more uh, a kinder, a friendlier viceroy called. Uh, in fact, he was he was uh, from the royalty. He was a duke, Duke mm. of Aosta, mm. Duke of Aosta in Italian. He was called Duke of Aosta. He was more humane. Uh, it was during his tenure that the Italians decided to release the prisoners from uh, Asmara. Oh, no, Azinara, sorry, from Azinara. Mm, yeah. As well as those who had been imprisoned in in Somalia and in the on an island in just off the coast of Eritrea, a place called Nokra. Mm. Uh, so, so he was a more humane, a more... Uh, he was trying to get some kind of an indirect rule. He was trying, the Duke of Aosta tried to get uh, to... Uh, regained the confidence of the various races who who were defeated, but still in Ethiopia, I mean, in, in the country. Mm -hmm. So he was trying to rule through them, uh, rule Gojam through the through the ruler of Gojam and rule. And uh, similarly, the Oromo regions of Olaga and Ilubabir through their uh, uh, traditional chiefs uh, that they were there. The Jashgabra Xavier, you know, and many others. Yeah. So the, the yeah. sort of the, the British model. I mean, the British had perfected yeah, this. Yeah, exactly, mm. exactly, so, exactly. But by then, you know, the 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 war was end, was winding up, and you know, the British were coming yeah. in. Exactly. So, so, but while the occupation was still, you know, fully alive, they released the prisoners. I mean, they didn't release the prisoners, you know, when they were going down. They released them when they were still in power. Well, when they were trying to. 
uh, make themselves more popular when they're trying to get a grip over the country. You know, during the Graziani, uh, when he was viceroy, uh, all the patriots, as we call them, they were really fighting the Italians, uh, hit and miss, hit and run kind of yeah, battles guerrilla. all over. Guerrilla warfare throughout yeah. the country. Uh, they were attacking the railway lines, the telephone lines, and so forth and so on. Yeah. So th- th- things became very ungovernable, very shaky for the Italians. So to counter that effect and to get the uh, to, to be more popular and to get the uh, more the traditional chiefs on their side uh, during the viceroy era or, or, or uh, when Duca Nausta took over as viceroy, yeah, they became more tried to be more humane and try to be more uh, uh, you know more friendly. Yeah. So did so, so uh, go ahead, go ahead. So the so the Italian. Uh, uh, policy changed, you know, it was up and down, uh, as I said, you know, because depending who was at the top mm-hmm. and how bad things were going for the Italians, you know. Now, when they released the Asnara people, who came home? You mean from my family? Yeah. Um, my mother and Kifle and Zimam. They came home, and, and a lot of the other, a good many of the other prisoners from Asmara were also released. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, there were about 300-something in, in, in Azinara. I don't know how many of them were rep- replaced or released, but I know uh, one of the big generals, major generals, Ras Amuru, who was uh, uh, head of the Ethiopian forces that came, that attacked the, the Italians from Gojam via Begemdir, uh, towards uh, Takaze. Rasen mm. uh, Muru uh, had been put in a prison in an island just off Italy called Ponza. Mm. He was not released until even after the emperor returned, after 1941. Because he's actually dangerous, I mean, to them. Yes, yeah. maybe they forgot him too. He was in a small island there. I don't know what happened, but he, wasn't, <laughs> he didn't come until, I don't know when, 42, 43. The emperor returned in 41. Yeah. So, so Gash Kifle and Tizimam came home, or Kifle yeah. and Tizimam came home. Um, what do you, remember, do you remember what they said when they came home? I mean, did, they were even smaller, right? Did they did they have anything that they remembered? I'm sure they remembered a lot, but do you remember what they said? Well, uh, not all that much, but I remember vaguely uh, their, uh, the clothes they're wearing, you know, very different from what we were wearing. Yeah. <laughs> Those of us who were still behind, they were, had a, a, a coats, you know, carport, overcoats. Uh, the mom had uh, European uh, uh, women's attire. I mean, she was only, what? Uh, she was only five years older than me. <laughs> yeah. Only three years older than me. So, she, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. And I remember they were, uh, uh, they didn't know in Jaran what, and they'd forgotten or whatever, but they wanted to have the European bread, uh, Dabo. Uh, that kind of small little things I remember. And they were just running around uh, in the way, whereas. The rest of us would, uh, you know, it was the habit at that for young kids of that age to be calm and not to talk unless they are asked and yeah. uh, to stay by the by the wall, you know. Yeah, they, they become westernized. <laughs> yeah, 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 they didn't do that. They were, you know, just wild. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing with that when we came here. Yeah. 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 
So what? So what changed when they came home? I'm, I, you know, did the did the household, you know, kind of go back to the way it was before? Or, you know, I mean, I guess your dad didn't come back, obviously. No, he didn't come back. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, well, my mother took uh, uh, resumed her. Uh, uh, you know, she went into the big house, not the big house that the Italians were renting, yeah. but the house where she lived until the until her death. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think I told you a little bit about how. Uh, she and my Mogzit, uh, Mama Bafana, were yeah. arguing in front of her about uh, the money not having been given to my, uh, Mama Bafana uh, for our upkeep. And, um, but what I remember also is uh, shortly after that, less than a year later, uh, news came that our father had died in Italy. Hmm. Uh-huh. And uh, my mother, I remember, was telling me, has been tell- was telling us that my father uh, was following the political uh, uh, situation in Europe. He was much more aware than than the rest, than many of the other his countrymen. He was always hoping that if the Italians joined war uh, against the English, if they joined, if they uh, joined sides with uh, Hitler. And declared war on the on the English and and, and the Western powers, that would that would fasten the uh, liberation of Ethiopia. Mm. But he, he died before we were told before the Italians actually joined. But 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 only a few months before they joined, he must have died uh, in the spring of 1940 because the Italians joined the war in June of 1940. So it was only a few months. Yeah. Before he knew that the the Italians had joined the the uh, uh, Germans, and, and and therefore Ethiopia's liberation was was imminent. You know, or, yeah. Was imminent exactly. Yeah. But still, there were signs. So he, he must have. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. There were signs that were going to be combating each other. Yeah. So, but yeah. he was not. So he. I know you told me, but was he imprisoned with the rest of the family, or they were in different places? No, no, different places. He was in Lungabuco mostly. Lungabuco hmm. uh, is. On the main Italian peninsula, you know, the Italian boot, towards the end of the Italian boot, if you, if you can visualize the Italian, uh, uh, the map of Italy, yes. you know, it goes down and then there is a, a, a boot yes. on one side and then another one on the left. The uh, Lungobuco is somewhere between the two tips, you know, mm-hmm. but on the mainland, whereas uh, our mother and the rest of the Ethiopian prisoners were in Azinara, which, as I said last week, was off the uh, island of uh, uh, Sicily. Between Sicily and the mainland, there was a small island called Azinara. In fact, it's a group of islands, uh, archipelago kind of islands, uh, between Sicily and the mainland. So, and one of them, one of these islands, small islands, was called Azinara, and that's where they were. So they were not together. To make to make a long story short. So we assume they had no communication, right? Uh, it seems they they knew something about each other's uh, situation, but not much. But an interesting tale here, Phil, is that when uh, together with, among the people who were with my father in Lungobuco was Balambaras Manu. Oh, no. Yeah, your grandfather on yeah. your mother's side. Yeah. Uh, he was, uh, he told me later, uh, after I married your mother, that uh, he was in the same uh, area, perhaps even in the same house as my, our, as my father. And he said he was uh, making tea and, and, and uh, you know, preparing uh, small uh, 
uh, how do you call them, shine, bunna, and, uh, and co- coffee for our father when he was ill. So, uh. so they knew each other from the, from the prison days, from their days in prison in Italy. Do, do you know what he died of? I mean, was, he was ill? Do you, what do you know? That, that's what we were told. Hmm. We were told that he had some liver condition, but uh, uh, we have no way of confirming it. Does anybody think he was killed, or do we? Is there any reason to think that? Well, some wild. Well, I wouldn't say wild, but there's some. Uh, like his uh, his brother Ababa, mm. uh, Gash Ababa Ali, uh, Tamru's father. He, he was a close uh, brother of uh, our father. He never believed that our father died a natural death. But, wow. he, but he, you know, it's just a matter of suspicion, and I don't think he has any, uh, yeah, any, he, uh, yeah. He wasn't there. No, 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 yeah. no. He he fought with him in the northern fronts, and and uh, you know they were in the same army against the Italians. But when the, our father took, uh, oh, the Italians took uh, our father prisoner, uh, Gashababa, his brother, his younger brother, was not among those who was jailed or or detained. Wow. So now that you're now that all the th- the three kids are back. Wait, where's Tiadis? Tiadis and uh, Tielfinesh, that's Muslim's mm. uh, mother. Mm. They were they were kept at the American Mission School. Uh, I think I mentioned that last week. Uh, they were uh, given. Uh, to the directress of the school. Uh, oh, yes. Uh, yes. Mm. So, she, Mrs. Uh, mm. uh, I can't remember her name. Uh, she, yeah, she, there were boarding schools at the American Mission in Gullale, mm. uh, the mission that uh, was started by the American Presbyterian uh, Mission. Uh, it was attached to the hospital uh, headed by Dr. Lambi. So, she, they were schooling there. So now, so she never left Addis Ababa. But so now, all the kids are back. Um, so, did you go to school while um, uh, everybody was gone? I mean, I guess no. between was, three and seven, you're home. Yeah, I was home. I was home. I was very close to my mogzit, mm. uh, 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 but I didn't start school. Uh, that's. Uh, the next phase of, uh, I don't think I, I started school until 1942, late 42 or early 43. Which is, how old are you? 42, I would have been like uh, eight. Okay. So, uh, so here you'd be a second grader probably, right? Yeah. Or between your first, second grade, yeah. Yeah, or, or even 43 even th- perhaps. Even third but grade. If, yeah, but... Uh, Oh, uh, even then, I didn't go to, uh, you know, the, the Western schools. I went to a traditional. We, the Yazimam, Kifli, and I uh, went to uh, started our schooling at uh, uh, one of those traditional schools run by priests, uh, where you learn the Ethiopian alphabet and reading and writing and so forth. Yeah, church, um, church school. The, most of those schools are attached to a church, but not all of them. The one we attended was an it was a an average school. There was a priest, uh, Yenita Oldemadin. Yenita is the the name we usually give to our teachers. Uh, I think it's a uh, it's, uh, etymologically it's probably Yene Geta, my lord. But, uh, 
But he gained it. We call him Waldemarin. Uh, I remember him very distinctly. He's uh, he was from Aksum. He was our teacher. Uh, he had thirty or forty kids. Uh, he was uh, giving lessons from in the home of uh, uh, a friend of the family, uh, Thomas Tafaria, uh, all day uh, near the Lazarist mission. Yeah, I don't think you remember it, but it's some north of where Gullale is. It's the northern part of Gullale, between. Uh, if, I don't know if, again, you remember between Rufael Church and Madani Alam Church, somewhere along that line. Uh, so the three of us would uh, walk the, maybe two kilometers from our house to the school there and spend the whole day there. Wow. Uh, and, and, and it's very interesting to uh, reflect on what those traditional schools like. I mean, look like. There was this one teacher who would have 30 or 40 students, sometimes even more. Uh, they were different, uh, of different ages, different levels of education. Some were just starting their hahu, their alphabet. Others were able to read and write. Uh, but they were all there, and he would manage uh, the whole school just from where he was sitting. Wow. Uh, Sometimes you would have the more advanced uh, pupils teach the ones uh, who are uh, just starting. Uh, so those who are uh, reading the uh, reading might be able to help him teach the ones who are, who are just starting the alphabet. But on the whole, he was, uh, I mean, all those teachers were fantastic. One one class schools, you know, one classroom schools, the kind of thing. And, and also in the middle of the city. I mean, it's not you know, it's not a rural area. I mean, there's you know a lot no. of distractions and you know yeah yeah and kids coming and going. I mean, that's. Uh... But, but at that time, really, felt uh, that part of Gulelli was virtually empty. I mean, they were full of trees, eucalyptus trees. Sometimes we were afraid to walk even through those trees. Hmm. And sometimes a, a servant would have to accompany us to take us to the school because uh, we were afraid that, you know, something might happen. My dogs, my, my wild dogs or, or might attack us. Uh, anything can happen. But uh, anyway, and we were young. So it was... Myself, uh, Kifle, and Zimam. And I managed to complete the curriculum there, so-called curriculum, which is uh, reading the Psalms of David. That's the end of the tradition. The first stage of the traditional school is when you finish Dawit, uh, the, the Psalms of David. Uh, Dawit the Gama. Mm. Uh, he's, he's recited the, uh, the Psalms, thus the phase of uh, the equivalent of primary school in the Western uh, system. Mm. At that time, the teachers were rewarded, uh, were given it as a reward. In my case, in our case, uh, he was given uh, uh, what uh, uh, Durrub. Durrub is uh, a very expensive kind of gabi. Uh, given specially to uh, for all, which is worn on only on special occasions. Wow. So when your teacher gets drill, that means you, you know, he's done a good job. So they reward the teacher, not the pupil, for finishing. <laughs> so he gets the graduation gown. And, yeah. yeah. So, so when you guys were walking to school, the three siblings, what what were the ages? Well, uh, seven or eight in mm-hmm. my case. Uh, Kifli was one year younger, so six or seven. Uh, Zimam was three years older than me, so she would be, uh, instead of uh, eight, she would be 11, 11 or 
Yeah. Isn't she? Yeah. So, I mean, that's sort of like our girls, you know, like Leah and Hannah walking, you know, a mile to school yeah. by themselves, you know, through the woods. Exactly. Then yeah. coming back. Yeah. So, when do you... So, I mean, everybody does this? I mean, this was the norm? I mean, like... Yeah, was, yes. Yes, this was the norm. And then, and then after that, you went to... I mean, what was primary school then? Like, after that, what would kids do? Okay. After uh, I, I completed... Uh, the first level, now it's Margam, finishing the Psalms uh, of David. Uh, incidentally, uh, maybe I shouldn't say this, but Kifli and uh, Zimam didn't do so. They uh, went halfway, but they didn't manage to finish it in one year. Normally, you're supposed, you're expected to finish it in a year, maybe a year and another month. Um, uh, anyway, uh, Kifli and I were uh, admitted to the Tafari Makonnen School. Uh, that must have been 1943 or 44. Hmm. Uh, this was uh, through the help of uh, our uh, the Jazmach Igazu. Hmm. The Jazmach Igazu is our grand uncle kind of thing. Uh, I mean, if you want to be very specific about it, uh, he was the brother of our grandmother. Of your grandmother, so your father's mother or your or your mother's no, my, mother? My, my mother's mother. Okay. And the Jashigazu were brother and sister. Okay. Okay. And he was uh, the Jazmach. He was uh, very, very close to the emperor. In fact, he was a cabinet minister under Minilik. Wow. Yeah. So he's an older man. He was exiled the whole time during the Italian occupation. He spent the whole time uh, in... Uh, the Ethiopian monastery on the in the Ethiopian monastery in in Jerusalem, along along with the emperor's wife, Empress Menon, and the royal family, they were all uh, kept in the Holy Land in the Ethiopian monastery. A lot of Ethiopia, well, the high-ranking people. I don't know that. Yeah, Raskasa and many others were were kept there. Yeah. And that that was self-imposed. I mean, they they fled to exile. I mean, they, they were imprisoned, yeah. sent by the Italians. No, no, no. They went with the emperor. Actually, when the emperor left for uh, exile, yeah. they accompanied him uh, all the way to uh, Jerusalem, to the Holy Land. Uh, the emperor continued his uh, exile into Europe and, and into England. But the other, the entourage and many of the, his wife mm. and uh, the judge Gazu, Raskasa and many others. Uh, the minister of the Fein, uh, Haile. Uh, they all stayed in uh, in uh, uh, the Holy Land, in the Ethiopian monastery. So it was a self-exile. I mean, yeah. they went in, on the same train to Djibouti with the emperor, took the same boat from Djibouti to uh, the Holy Land, and, and then the emperor continued, as I said, uh, while the rest of the his entourage remained in the Holy Land. And, uh, and if the Italians knew they were sailing, I mean, they would have tried to shoot the boat, I would assume, right? I mean, they... They had to sneak? Well, at that time, they, uh, I mean, that part of the uh, Middle East was British-controlled. Oh, I see. The Italians had not joined war against them. This was in 1936, we're talking about, you know, when they, when they were exiled. The emperor left Addis Ababa uh, in, in uh, 1936. He left Ethiopia in 1936. Uh, yeah. So he could get away with it. I mean, he was sort of, as soon as he sort of left... When he crossed the Red Sea, he was sort of out of Italian danger. Yeah, he was assisted, I think, by the British because uh. Uh, 
because I think they uh, helped him uh, with the transportation, getting the boats, uh, the, the ship that took him and his family and his uh, entourage, uh, and uh, uh, passage through Europe. And when he was, he came to uh, when he finally landed in uh, to in uh, in England. To I mean, there was some assistance on the part of the English, That's and perhaps and perhaps some other uh, European powers as well. But certainly the English. Wow. So now the the jazz match said helped you to go to Tafari Mokonen. Yes. In what sense? Well, he uh, when the, when he. You had to have special permission in those days uh, to enter uh, those schools because they were boarding schools. Mm. You know, there were uh, lots and lots of children of our age, but only so many places in the schools, you know. Yes. So you had to, the first priority was given to people who, whose, who, to those pupils rather, children whose parents uh, had served uh, their country or had died during the war. Uh, or uh, of uh, uh, you know uh, closer to the uh, emperor's uh, court and so forth. So Rajesh uh, Gazu uh, took it upon himself that the sons of Nagadra Sodajo should be allowed uh, to go to Tafarimokon uh, school, you know, because of their father's service to the country. Wow. So the two of us, Kifli and I, went to Tafarimokon school, were admitted to Tafarimokon, free, boarding. Yeah. And our sisters, uh, Tiyazimam and uh, Addis, went to uh, Empress Manan School, which is the sister school, not too far from the Farimokonun School itself. How, where is that compared to Gulale? Oh, uh, not just north of the uh, in November, the university. Yeah. In Sidiskilo, they're just north of Sidiskilo. So About, it's a boarding yeah. school, but he could have gone home. Um. Well, I mean, there are rules that they didn't allow us to leave. I mean, there were very strict rules. You weren't, you weren't allowed to leave, but I mean, you know, but it was still in the same city. I mean, it wasn't. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. there are day schools. There are, in addition, you know, there are, it was roughly one third boarding and two thirds day schools. Oh, okay. So it was not just all of, all, not everyone was a boarding, boarding student. So what were you? You were day or boarding? No, no, boarding. Full boarding and free. So that was that was advantage. I mean, you know, in, in this country, you'd, you'd want to be a day student, but you know, that's different back home. Yeah, no, no, this was the considered great uh, privilege, and I st- we stayed both Kifli and I stayed throughout my our primary and secondary schools at the Farimokonu School. We didn't go to any other school. Uh-huh. Began and finished there. Uh, one thing to note here is that both schools, both the Farimokonen and Empress Manan existed before the war. Tafari Mokonen was established in 1924 by the, uh, by the regent, Rastafari Mokonen. He, yeah. you know, the, the emperor, before he, was, he became emperor, yeah. he was regent and he was called Rastafari, Tafari Mokonen. Yeah. So it was named after him. He, he started it in 1924, wow. uh, six years before he, be, he was uh, crowned as emperor. He was crowned as emperor in 1930 mm-hmm. and uh, the school was started in 1924. And and a few years later, I think like two or three or four years later, the empress, his wife, Empress Manan, started another school for girls, very close to Tafari Mokonu School for girls. So those two schools existed before the Italian war, but during the Italian occupation, the, they were no longer schools. The Tafari Mokonu served as some kind of a storage 
uh, storeroom facilities for the Italian army. Hmm. So there, it was closed. So it was only reopened after the emperor arrived almost Within a year of the emperor's arrival, uh, return from exile, uh, it was started. So it's, so, a, it's a miracle you guys got in. I mean, there must have been a huge exactly. you know, pressure to get in. I mean, you know. Exactly. exactly. That's why the intervention of the Jazmach Gazu helped uh, a lot Yeah, in 1943 or 44. Uh, yeah. I was going to say, who are the teachers? But go, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was going exactly. That was, uh, uh, uh. I mean, when I say uh, we joined the Tafari Mokodin School, don't make it look like it was like Churchill School, the school like you attended here. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, it was a very, very rudimentary school. Remember the war still waging in Europe? Uh, yeah. We're talking about 42, 43. The war didn't stop until 1945. Yeah. So there were. There was virtually no, nothing by way of school supplies, uh, exercise books or chalks or blackboards or decks. There was nothing of the sort. There were no trained teachers. Obviously, the few that were trained before, uh, the, that were educated Ethiopians before the war were massacred by the Italians. Wow. So yeah. very little left by way of uh, Ethiopian teachers. So what happened was the uh, the emperor um, and and his uh, uh, assistants, his uh, advisors, rounded up whoever was available in the city, Greeks, wow. Armenians, Egyptians, and a few uh, leftover Ethiopians uh, to start school uh, uh, at Tafari Mokonin. Hmm. Um, uh, there was no nothing like grade one, grade two, grade three. Like when I... St- Entered the Farimokonin school just as an example, again in 43 or 44. Uh, the school start, had 36 grades. You are either class 36, and then you move way up, you, you move your way towards one, grade 36, 35, 34, 33. When you enter grade one, then you finish. Huh? Hmm. <laughs> uh, so I, I was assigned to grade uh, when I first. Uh, uh, arrived, I think I, I was assigned into grade 33. That means three years, uh, three grades above the beginning. Grade 36 is the beginning. I was in grade 33. The reason was because I had already been to the traditional school and I was able to read. Uh, so when the when the teacher had me read something and I was able to read it uh, fluently, even though I may not have understood what was what I was reading, yes. I was put into grade 33. The very same day. Another teacher comes and gives me something in English, and I couldn't read it. Yeah. I didn't know a word of English. I, yeah. didn't, I didn't know the alphabet. Yeah. So, the, so, so that teacher took it upon himself that I was not properly <laughs> in the proper classroom. So he moved me to uh, uh, grade 33 uh, from grade... Uh, um, no, I was, I was grade 33 then. He, no, uh, no, sorry. From grade 33, I was uh, that teacher who... Uh, notice that I was reading well. I'd moved me to 22. Sorry, 22. <laughs> From 33 to 10 22. years? I mean, you get it. Be... <laughs> no, um, you can move th- three, four uh, grades in a year. If, oh, okay. Uh, okay. okay. So I was moved 11 grades uh, to 22. Uh, but when I couldn't read English, the second teacher, the same day, moved me to grade 26. And that's where I stayed. <laughs> grade 26. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, the school uh, had 
I mean, this was immediately after the war. So, I mean, you know, the whatever education there was before the war was discontinued during the Italian war. Uh, but the kids started, kept on growing. So when Tafari Makonis grew up, and, uh, there were kids aged between 8 and 27. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, in my own schools, there were, uh, in my own classroom, there were people who were quite old. We would call them gashe. Gashe Kelly, Gashe Kelly, because they were older. Uh, they were, their fathers had, uh, were living in the, in the, in, in the country and had died during the Italian war in, in some of the battles. So they were allowed into Tafari Mokon school, but they were not uh, uh, as young as we were. Wow. Uh, and the school really started, Tafari Mokon school really started to reorganize and become uh, a proper Western-style school. Uh, beginning 1945 with the coming of Canadian Jesuits mm. in 1945. And I uh, suggest we stop here because uh, after that, after 1945, Tafari Mokoni was a different school. It's a different phase of education. Uh, it was more like uh, Western education as we know it here. Mm. Uh, but if there is something I can remember about what happened at the... Uh, a traditional school or at the unorganized Tafari Mokonu school, I'll mention it, but uh, but beginning 1945, uh, with the Canadian teachers when they came, the Canadian Jesuit teachers, uh, it was reorganized uh, on proper Western style from grades one to grade eight um, uh, by age and by uh, uh, level of uh, learning um so it, it was a different uh, setup what did uh, where did uh, gashkafli start oh i don't remember well just a little b- below me i think <laughs> yeah but uh, uh you know it would be it, when we start next time i will uh, try to say a little uh, bit about how the emperor selected the canadian jesuits father okay and uh, why Canadians? Why Jesuit fathers? Uh, how come he gave them the existing school instead of letting them start uh, their own school? And also how he managed to uh, cope with the resistance of the traditional Orthodox priests uh, who <laughs> didn't welcome Catholics in, in oh, yeah. uh, as teachers. And there is a history of Jesuits back in the 17th century. Uh, during the Portuguese period, when the Portuguese came, there were Jesuits uh, who were very close to the uh, emperor, and they even managed to convert one of our emperors, Susinius, in 1630-something, into, into, into the Catholic faith. And the civil war emerged, you know, uh, developed as a result of that. So, yeah. Yeah, so, which, which, were, yeah. which didn't make him very popular. <laughs> Yeah, but Susinius later uh, renounced his Catholic faith and he died as uh, as an Orthodox Christian. <laughs> that's what we say and what we believe, and that's probably what, that's what happened also. So it wasn't an easy choice to choose Canadians who were there. I mean, you know, they were not known too much. Yeah. French, Jesuits, Catholics, and that's uh, a very, very interesting uh, choice. And uh, I think it will be starting, we'll start with that next, next week. Wonderful. Okay, uh, great. Thank you again. This is fantastic. Um, We'll talk again next Sunday, um, and uh, I'll stop here. Okay. Can we just uh, uh, 
how do you say it? Suspend it a little bit so I see if there is anything in my note. Sure. Go ahead. Uh, one uh, item I should have mentioned is, you remember I had said that uh, Kifli and I were admitted to Tafarimokon school. Yes. And uh, Zimam and Addis uh, uh, were admitted to Empress Menon school. That leaves Elfinesh. Uh, the I, eldest uh, uh, sibling, yeah. uh, uh, Miss Les' mother, she didn't. Uh, uh, or she was not. Uh, uh, she, was, she, she was not. She didn't, she didn't go to any of these schools. Uh, she was considered too, too old, I guess. I don't know what. But shortly after that, she was married. She was married away. You know, she was married off in 1944 or 45. Uh, so she didn't go to. I mean, she had gone to the American. Uh, Presbyterian Mission School in Gulali, as I said, during the Italian occupation. But yeah. after the Italians came, she didn't join her two other sisters, the mom, and uh, Addis to go to uh, uh, Empress Menon. Empress Menon. Uh, that's one. And then I think I mentioned about how soon after our mother's return from uh, Azinara, we had heard of our father's death. Uh, and that was, of course, a very sad event. And uh, uh, as men, as I think I told, as I said last week, yeah. as many as our uh, mother had, many of her relatives and her nephews and uncles and so forth had died in the course of the war uh, and was crying. You know, one of the first things I remember, as I told you, is uh, the perennial luxo uh, yeah. after they returned because so many of her our relatives had died. Uh, this was yet another one, you know, when she heard about her husband's death yeah. uh, shortly after her return. Yeah, I think yeah. I'll stop here. Well, yeah, actually, I, I wanted to ask also. I mean, you you didn't say anything about this, but I would imagine at that time, you know, it was not common for girls to go to school. I mean, was that was that not remarkable in and of itself that there was first a girls' school, you know, and yeah. that you know then all the kids, all her, you know, your mother's daughters, you know, went off to secondary school. Is that not a, was that normal or unusual? Secondary school. Well, I mean, at the time they went to primary school, right? But is this, I mean, uh, what proportion of the city kids went beyond church school at that time? Very, very little. Very, very few. I mean, uh, as I uh, indicated, those two schools had existed before the war. Uh, but the enrollment situation uh, at the time, like in Tafari Mokonin, for instance, uh, uh, in 1945, uh, it was roughly one-third boarding and two-thirds day school with a total student population of maybe four or five hundred. It's a little less in, uh, in, in Empress Manon School. So this was just the beginning of uh, modern education, or, or at least, uh, yeah, after the occupation, so little, very few. Uh, it's, yeah. a, it's a drop in the bucket. I mean, you know, 400 yeah. kids out of Addis Ababa, I mean, you know, much less Ethiopia. Yeah, yeah, and and then all the kids in one family went there, which is just amazing, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, a little later, other schools were also reopened in Addis Ababa. Uh, Minilik School, that had been established by Emperor Minilik in 1907, was was also reopened. So that that also took some of the uh, weight. Uh, uh, also. Madani Adam School or Balaba School in Gullale, that was also reopened shortly mm. after the Emperor's return. Uh, a few such schools were opened in Addis. Uh, and then uh, it's maybe next week or sometime during the, 
our uh, sessions, I will say a few words about how much education expanded between 1941 and 1951. In, in 10 years, this was, you know, education was the emperor's main focus hmm. immediately after his return from exile. In a matter of 10 years, they, uh, between 1941 and 1951, they had, the emperor managed with his, uh, of course, the, the, the Ethiopia, I should say, but the emperor, uh, as it said, established primary schools, secondary schools, commercial school, a technical school, an engineering school, and right. even a university college. The university college that I, I attended was yeah. started in 1950-51. Just in time. Yeah. Yeah, we were, the, we were among the first to, to enter it. I was in the second group, in the second group that was admitted in 1951. The first uh, entry was in 1950. Wow! So, so it was a fantastic leap forward in terms of uh, how much they did in, in the field of education. Establish uh, the curriculum was being written. Teacher training schools were established. I mean, when I say this, I should say. They were begun because you know it was only it's a small drop in the bucket. Yeah, I mean you know uh, all of these schools added together wouldn't make uh, uh, the enrollment ratio even five percent of the school age population were not in school. A very small percentage of the school age children of Ethiopia were in school, but at least a, a start to start a start. Uh, it was a good start. Yeah, it was a and, seed. Uh, it was a good seed, and yeah. it was multifaceted teacher training. Technical, vocational, commercial, um, revising the curriculum, writing the textbooks, hiring teachers—all of those things simultaneously was virtually nothing in the government's uh, uh, treasury. Wow! That's uh, the, the emperor started with borrowed money from the English of three million pounds, and that's how the government was re-established in 1941. But that's a topic uh, worth. Okay. A session by itself. Wonderful. Okay. Okay. Th okay. Thank you very much, and uh, good night, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Okay. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. bye, -bye.